Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. It's time to get inside the Giants' home. Let's go, let's go, let's go. On Giants.com. I like it, I like it, I like it. And the Giants mobile app. Boom, give me some juice. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's roll. Welcome to another edition of the Giants Little Podcast, brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the Giants. My name is John Schmelk. Today, our special guest, longtime NFL executive, Michael Lombardi. He started under Bill Walsh. He worked for the Browns for a long time, the Raiders for the long time, Eagles, Broncos. He volunteered for them. Patriots, three-time Super Bowl champion. And he has a brand new book, Football Done Right, setting the record straight on the coaches, players, and history of the NFL. Go find it wherever you buy your books. It's an excellent read. I've gotten through most of it, Michael. And I want to start here because I think you start the book in the right way, and I think it's interesting. You talk about the history of the game, and I think you throw out some names that this game was built on. You call them the White Oaks, right, if I'm not mistaken? And yeah. just some names I'll throw out there. Colonel Blake, Clark Shaughnessy with the T formation, Paul Brown, who really started making offense organized, Sid Gilman, who got the ball down the field for the first time. Let's just start there and talk about some of these names that maybe casual fans don't know, but without them, we wouldn't have the NFL the way it is today. You know, everybody... You know, we talk coaching trees, but I don't think people really understand what is the coaching tree. And what I try to do is simplify it to where the white oak has the longest roots of any tree. And it also represents sturdiness and the ability to withstand. And I think these five gentlemen really made the game. You know, Walsh and Brown are close, but Bill took something from Paul and expanded it to a whole other element. But Earl Blake with the lonely end, you know, being able to spread the formation out, which was unheard of. Uh, Clark Shaughnessy, as you mentioned, the T formation. Sid Gilman, who worked for Earl Blake, too, you know, along with Vince Lombardi, uh, they all understood how to throw the football. You know, when, when Sid Gilman went to Ohio State, when he played at Ohio State, he then coached. There was a coach there by the name of Francis Schmidt who wanted to throw the ball all the time at Ohio State. They ran him out of town, naturally. But uh, <laughs> uh, he was really the impetus behind Sid Gilman falling in love with the forward pass. So there's a reason why Brian Dayball, the coach of the Giants, comes from a tree. You know, he was in, hired by Belichick. Well, what's Belichick's tree? You know, he goes back to Rick Forzano, and he goes back to a lot of the Paul Brown elements are in his life, even though he never worked for Paul Brown. But you have these links to people that you've worked for that enhance yourself and they make you who you are and they kind of send you to the you're basically they start your foundation. 
And that's what I wanted to try to start the book with was a foundation of where this all comes from. Yeah. And as I mentioned with, with your long resume, you worked with and along two of the greatest coaches of all time, Bill Walsh, then in Cleveland, you were there with Bill Belichick, correct? So talk about, and you have a chapter in this book with the top 10 greatest coaches of all times. Not surprisingly, both those guys are featured prominently in that list. What makes your list you think a little bit different based on your experience in the league and what to you makes a great NFL coach? Well, I think a great NFL coach, and I, 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 you know, I, I think Parcells probably. I debated a long time. I think he is one of the top ten. Uh, I didn't put him in there partly because of some of the I had to pay respect to the older guys. But I think what makes a great NFL head coach is the ability to focus and understand what the problems are, and solve problems, and manage the game in three areas: offense, defense, and the kicking game. And basically understand what it takes to win the game on that given day. It's a dying breed in our industry right now. We don't really have very many people that can do that. You know, we don't have many people trained to do that. We have play callers, but we don't have play. We don't have people that can walk into the running back room and talk about what we need to do at running back and then go over to the defensive line room and talk about that. That's a dying breed in our industry. So for me, that's what makes it and how to play the game. What do we have to do today to win the game? I think Brian did a really good job last year for the Giants of really asking that question and answering it every week. And I think that's what makes teams separate. That's what separates it, right? Because football in the 30s and, and today is a game of leadership. It's still about leadership. How do you get the players to maximize their talent? I think that's one element we're missing. You know, Michael, and it's funny, I think you make an interesting point. Why do you think that is a dying breed of coach that can do all those different things. And I do think there are some coaches that probably still can. Like I look at a guy like Brian Dable, right? You mentioned play caller. He gave up those play caller duties and you look at his assistant coach past. He started on defense. He's done tight ends. He's done a bunch of different positions. Why do you think we don't necessarily have those coaches that are as well-rounded and can do a little bit of everything and not just focus on the play calling when they get to that head coaching position? Well, we don't have a lot of Bill Belichick's. So Belichick trained Brian. And why did Belichick train Brian? Because he trained him like you should train all great coaches on both sides of the ball. And and so he, he started, like my son's the offensive coordinator of the Oakland Raiders. He started in New England as a personnel assistant. So he learned personnel. Then he became a coaching assistant. Then he became, uh, you know, a, a, an assistant receiver coach. And then he worked his way up. That's – we in Cleveland, before Bill went to New England, we – tried to put together a program of how to develop coaches. How do you develop coaches? And one of the ways we thought about developing coaches was if we teach them personnel first, they'll see players. We can always teach you plays, but the person that sees players and plays together has an advantage. And so that's kind of how we trained it. And that's what we did. And that all comes from Belichick. That comes from Walsh. That's something I've learned in my life is that's what they believe. They believe in developing coaches. And I think this book is about how do you develop as a coach? How, how are you going to develop? It's not about play callers. It's about how do you develop your philosophy of who you want to be based on those white oaks. And you were with New England as an assistant to the coaching staff from 2014 to 2015. Brian Dable was there for that. So before we jump to another part of your book, 
Michael, just want to get your take on what it was like working with Brian Dable and your thoughts on him as a coach and the job he did for the Giants last year. Well, I thought he did an incredible job because I think he took over a team that didn't have great cap situation and he got the most out of the players. He got the, the quarterback to play at a high level. He got the running back to play at a high level. They kind of managed their way through defensively. I mean, Brian was a meticulous note taker. You know, he went to every meeting with Belichick with the computer out and his ability to take notes. He was taking everything in. Worked for Nick Saban. You know, he's worked for Belichick. He's been with Mangini. He's had a lot of different backgrounds. And so he comes from a smorgasbord of lessons. But at the end of the day, he was rooted in this this patriot way, if you will, which I think often gets tossed around, but few understand it, uh, of how to really coach the team to win the game on that game on that day. And when you look at their season, you know, they were a team that had to get the game in the fourth quarter and find a way to win the game in the fourth quarter. And that's what they did from the opening game against Tennessee to the last game when they couldn't get it into the fourth quarter against the Eagles. Now, the final chapter in your book is your top 100 players. Now, we've seen a million of these top 100 players lists thrown around. NFL Network has one. ESPN has one. But you're coming at it from a different perspective as someone that worked in personnel and in, in coaching in the league. So tell me what's different about your list. What were your priorities? And what, for you, kind of sets apart the guys near the top of your list? Well, I mean, I wanted to pay respects to some of the older players to get rid of this rhetoric, John, that they couldn't play today. Dick Buckus could play today. I'm going to break the news to you. He could play today. He would be <laughs> really good, you know. And, you know, and so what I try to do is is take the players of the past and try to teach the people what they would look like today if they were playing with modern players. So I wanted to do that. And I wanted to be respectful to players from all different eras. And I and also want to be respectful to players that weren't that I think have been must not fairly judged by the Hall of Fame committee. Sterling Sharp being an example. Ron Kramer, the tight end of the Packers, had a you know tremendous I mean the Packer sweep doesn't exist without Ron Kramer blocking the edge. I mean here's a guy who's won 11 letters at the University of Michigan played basketball. It was you know with the Harlem Globetrotters wanted to play. Nobody Nobody, you know, this guy only got traded to Detroit because he was going through a divorce when football was in such the infancy stages that, you know, you had to have some, you had to have different jobs in the wintertime to make a living. So he wanted to go back and try to save his marriage. But I, I, what I try to do is try to link these things together and educate the fan that, you know, today isn't always just the best players. There were great players before. Otto Graham, you know, won 11, 10 titles. And so... He deserves to be in the conversation, you know, just because Pat Mahomes is great doesn't mean he was better than Otto Graham. Otto Graham was really good, too. You're ready for a change. Payday comes early with citizens. So go to that retreat. New you moves to the country. Now you're raising goats and launching a lifestyle brand. Are you ready for all that life brings? Yeah, people don't realize if you put these great athletes of yesteryear in today's modern systems and offenses for one, and even just in the training programs, right? Like these guys back in the sixties, you know, this Michael, they're working day jobs. Like they're not, they're not yeah. playing football all year round. It's just a completely different world. So it, it's really hard to make that cross comparison, especially when you just look at, you know, what they look like and then the stats, because this is the, it's a completely different world in the modern era. 
It is, and they took a beating. I mean, Johnny Unitas barely threw the ball without getting the crap beat out of him, you know? And so people say, well, Unitas, and I said this, and one of the reasons I wrote the book, John, is because I was sitting there with Steve Sable and Ernie Acorsi, and we were talking about former players, and I stupidly said, I don't think Unitas could play, and Sabo and Acorsi looked at me like I was an idiot. <laughs> and they were right, and they were right. I was an idiot. Like, they can play. He was, you know, he he was Peyton Manning before Peyton Manning, controlling everything at the line, being able to d- distribute the football, whether it was to John Mackey or Raymond, uh, you know, Raymond Barry, the wide receiver. I mean, they just had this unbelievable. He called the plays. I mean, he was calling plays too, which was difficult. So that's what I wanted to. That's what I hope the people that read this book, that buy this book, they have a better sense of the history of the NFL. And you will find a prominent giant near the top of that list, Michael. Didn't quite get to number one, but LT does make an appearance very high on your list. I don't, you know, I find it so hard to believe that people actually have the guts. To, they don't really watch Lawrence Taylor. If you watch Lawrence Taylor, he's once in a lifetime. Just like Ronnie Lott was once in a lifetime. Reggie White's once. Those These guys don't exist. I mean, I think Micah Parsons is great. Don't get me wrong, but Lawrence Taylor was on a different level. I mean, just think about this. The gunner position in the NFL changed because of Lawrence Taylor. And I write about it in the book. Belichick put Lawrence Taylor out as the gunner on the punt team, right? That's how good he was. And, of course, naturally, the the goddamn punt returners were scared to death when him comes storming down. Wouldn't you be? Yeah. Hell, yeah, it would be. so Washington – and then Washington put Dexter Manley out there to combat it, you know? And like Parcells said to Belichick, see what you started? You know, like this is what happens. And so, you know, I, I, he was just – he changed the game. I mean, he changed the blocking scheme. I mean, Walsh had to come up with what we call the dual reblock. So because he wanted to get somebody on him. And I think people that do that are way different than people that just play really good. Yeah, I mean, now edge rusher is considered a position in the league. That position did not exist until Lawrence Taylor made that a position pretty much in, right. in, in the 80s, which, which and is really one of the more valuable positions well, now in the entire league. I mean, they had, ta- they had Taylor and you had Banks. Carl Banks' position doesn't exist today. The end-of-the-line linebacker who plays over the tight end, that that, that doesn't even exist anymore. That's a, The Sam linebacker position in football is mm-hmm. gone. Yeah, I think now teams just play a safety over there in nickel, right? And they basically have those guys take yeah. care of the tight end. Well, most of, well, the tight ends can't block anybody. Well, I mean, yeah, it's true People too. call Kelsey <laughs> a tight end. He's not a tight end. Nobody counts Kelsey as he's a great receiver. Darren Waller's not really a tight end. He's a great receiver. They're great receivers. And this is what we've come to. Yeah, it, it's very different. And then the part of your book that I really enjoyed you have a team building chapter, but then you also have chapters on trades in the draft, right? Which is really your two main avenues along with free agency to building a team. So put your GM hat on, which I think it's always on. You don't have to put it on. Uh, how how do you think the best way now is to, to build out a winner in the National Football League? Well, I, I think the I still think it's through both offensive and defensive lines. I think the Eagles have proven that. I, I think if you're good in offensive line and defensive line, Obviously, you have to have a really good quarterback. But if you're not good up front, you're not going to win because you're going to meet somebody who's going to be able to to block, to, to, to handle you. And I think that's still – football is a, an ageless game. And, you know, when you played in the backyard and you counted the 
three Mississippi, nobody got open. But if you counted the five Mississippi, guys could get open. That's pro football too. If we can block you, we're going to get open. If we can't block you, I don't give a crap who we have. We're not going to get open. So I still think the way to build a team is through strength down the middle. And you also have to recognize where you play. You know, you have to recognize you play in the Northeast. You've got to be able to win the November, December, January weather. weather. I mean, look, they played the Ice Bowl on the last day of December in 67. That was the championship game in the end of December, minus 13 degrees. That, you know, we're, 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 week, four, we're week 15 that time now. You know, so if you don't have a team that can handle the elements – and it's mentally tough, and you play in that conditions, it's hard. John Soto Podcast is brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the Giants. From game day to everyday, Citizens made ready for Giant fans with insights, guidance, and solutions. Learn more at citizensbank.com. Michael, in the vein of speaking about team building, what do you think of the job Joe Shane has done here? It's only his second season now. He's had two off-seasons to try to build this thing back from what was a fairly dark period here. Your thoughts on the early returns? Well, I think one thing, he sits in a chair that has great history in it and George Young. Uh, and what George Young did when he came to the Giants was install the size speed, the grading system, which I talk about, and the philosophy of building through the the draft. I mean, look, the Giants won, have won two Super Bowls in recent years, beat New England, and it's because of their defensive front, their ability to run block, their ability to – to run with their off their offensive line and their defensive lines. And I think Joe, you know, drafts Neil, drafts Thibodeau in his first draft. You know, he drafts Schmidt, the, the offensive center. I think he understands that he's got to put the value where it really matters the most, which is up front, you know. And we certainly need corners. And, you know, we drafted a corner in the first round. But I think he gets that you have to build through the lines because you don't have to look too far down the turnpike to see they're really good – because they're really good in both lines. And, yeah, and, and they've but, yeah. beaten, and ahead, they've beaten you badly in two games. Oh, no, you're fine. They've beaten you badly in two games because they control both lines. Yeah, and I think to a lesser extent in Dallas too, right? They have that great pass rush up there. They have a pretty good offensive line as well. So 100% with you. So let's start with the defense then, because I do think that's kind of where they're trying to build. He had those two first-round picks his first year here. Uh, drafts Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau trying to get better up front. So now you're looking at your defensive front. You have Dexter Lawrence, who was turned into one of the best nose tackles in football. He actually gets a really good pass rush from there, too. Leonard Williams is a proven pro. Then you have those two young guys outside in Thibodeau and Ojolari. What do you think your potential is of that kind of four-man front, in you know, which you're a nickel most of the time anyway, right, to becoming a consistent force on pass rush to give your opponents the same type of trouble that that Philly and Dallas have been giving them over the last couple of years. Well, the key to all this is you got to play from in front because if you don't play from in front, it's hard to have a pass rush. Yep. Eagles scored 207 points in the second quarter last year. They play from in front every, almost every single game, never play from behind. If you're Don Martindale and you're calling defenses and you're down 10 points at halftime, you can't run zero blitz and feel like, okay, if I give this up, the game's over. So you have to be careful. I, I think that's the key. Everything's complementary in football. Everything, every every movement creates another movement. So, look, they're going to have to play. They got to play from in front. But the Giants have to play with their pace too, right? They're they're never going to be a track meet team. 
that's not going to work for them. But they, they, their way they paced the game last year did. So I think to me, those guys got a rush. They need, you know, I, I think I still think the Giants are one more draft away where they close the gap on that depth of their team to really help them compete at the next level. And I think that's really what will happen. And, and I think they'll get there. Yeah, I don't think anyone thought this was just a one or two year project when the new regime came in. Absolutely. You mentioned it before cornerback, right? The Giants right now, and I'm talking as though three cornerbacks start because most teams have three corners out there at the same time. Two of those three guys, and they'll probably be your outside corners, are going to be two rookies, Deontay Banks and Trey Hawkins. Michael, just talk about that from a scouting perspective. When you're looking at an opponent, you see two rookie corners out there, no matter how well they might have you know, graded out in the draft and what you think of them. How are opponents going to see that, and how are opponents going to go about trying to attack that, given the inexperience the Giants might have there outside early in the season? Well, they're gonna they're gonna have to figure out how to block the blitz because they know Martindale's gonna come with a lot of pressure, right? So, and he's not he's not afraid to leave his corners on an island. They're gonna play press man, and they're gonna do it. So all day, you know. I think the number <laughs> the number one thing if you're playing the Giants is we got to protect. How are we protecting? We got to understand how he brings pressure, how he disguises pressure, and then go from there. Look, the 49ers, in, in when they drafted Ronnie Lott in the first round, they started Lott in the, at corner, and they started uh, Carlton Williamson at strong safety, and they started Eric right at the other corner, three rookies. Wow. And now the game was different, but they were able to, they played together, they won a Super Bowl. In 81. So, you know, they'll be okay. I mean, these kids that come from college, you know, remember what I write about in the book is, is is the game of college. Parcells told me this years ago, we can only take from college what they give us. And they give us now, they give us guys that play press man. They give us guys that play, that, that see 40 passes a week in practice. We see that. Whereas back when I started, People were still running the wishbone. People were still running the veer. You didn't, you know, the corners didn't have as much practice. There wasn't as much passing going on. So these guys are ready to play. I mean, Banks is ready to play. You know, Walsh used to say all the time, it doesn't matter where you get drafted. It matters how you play. Yep. Go play okay if they get pressure. Giants fans love a winner. It's why they love Citizens. Named the 2022 Best Bank in the U.S. by the Banker as the official bank of the Giants and sponsor of the Giants Huddle. Citizens is made ready for fans of Big Blue. Learn more at citizensbank.com. We're joined by Michael Lombardi, author of Football Done Right. Go find it wherever you get your books. Michael, let's jump to the Giants on offense here. They had to make a big decision on Daniel Jones last offseason. They liked what they saw in year one of Brian Dable. They gave him a four-year contract. Your thoughts on what the next step for you is that he has to make this year to kind of vault himself further up those quarterback tiers where he can maybe start taking over games through the air and leading the team to victory. You know, I think he has to play within himself. I think what we learned about Daniel Jones last year was when he's in a six-back offense, second leading rusher on the team, when he's big in the run game, he's a better player. I don't think Daniel Jones is going to make people forget that he's the next Patrick Mahomes. He doesn't have to. He's got to play within himself. And I really believe when he's running or a threat of the run, people don't realize this. Jalen Hurts ran last year for a less average than he did the year before. He had slightly more carries, but less average. It's not you want him to run. It's the threat of the run that helps set his passing game up. 
And I think with what I saw with Daniel Jones was finally they found an offense that fits his skill set. He's not a West Coast quarterback. He's not a one, two, three, four, five, read it out. He's a he's a six back offense quarterback that can go. Now, when you're doing this, you got to play from in front. You got to, you know, you don't want to play from behind. You don't want to get down because then they're going to make mistakes. But every quarterback in the league, I'm not saying this in any disparaging way about Jones, every quarterback in the league, with the exception of Mahomes and perhaps even, has to be put in the right system that fits his skill set. Jalen Hurts proved that to us all. Jalen Hurts, you know, left Alabama because he couldn't throw. They would, He didn't really fit their passing game. Went to Oklahoma. The Eagles, you know, they lose to Tampa, get beat badly. They come back with this six-back offense, and now all of a sudden this works for him. And I think it's the same thing with Jones. I think they need to build on what they did last year. I think the rhetoric about, well, now we're going to open it up, I think that's down the wrong road. I think do what you do and make him better at what he's been good at doing. Don't try to change something else. You love turf. You're good at it. So you start a turf biz. Business grows. Your savings grow. Become the most celebrated name in turf. Are you ready for all that life brings? Now, fans that maybe that don't know the terminology, Michael, what do you mean by six-back offense? Well, let's. So my book's a history book, right? So when the single wing was in play, you know there used to be two quarterbacks. You know, because there, there, there was no throwing, it was all deception. So the main runner was what we called the quarterback, and it wasn't until Clark Shaughnessy put the T formation that the quarterback actually had a real position. And so once the quarterback's involved in the running game, now you have six people that could potentially carry the football. You have the two receivers, the two tight ends, and the one running back, right? Yep. So that's five. And now the quarterback becomes the sixth element. That's why I call it the six-back offense, because he's involved in the run game. He's the second-leading rusher on the team last year. And it wasn't because he dropped back and, oh, oh no one's open. I'm going to take off and run. He ran power. He ran sweep. He ran lead. He ran run plays that come from essentially the single wing. And that helped him. Why? because it gave them a play-action pass game. It gave them the ability to read option the defense and then pull the defense in so that he could throw it down the field. It's not – I'm not talking about it being a weakness. I'm talking about it highlighting his strength. Yeah, and then I'll throw Saquon Barkley in the mix, Michael. He's on the roster this year, you know, signed on that one-year deal with a slight bump up from that franchise tag. How do you view his importance to the offense? How the Giants can best utilize him this year and just his overall value to the franchise? Well, look, we know he's a great runner, right? But for him to be an elite player, and I had him in my red chip group, he's got to be better in the passing game, better in pass protection, which he's improved tremendously there. And he's got to run different routes. He averaged less than six yards a catch. Now, great backs you got to average. I mean, Todd Gurley, when the Rams were good, averaged 10 a catch. Kamara, 10 a catch. I mean, Eckler, not. I mean, all those guys are in the nines. That's where he's got to get to. He's got to run routes that are more conducive to a receiver than just screens or flares. He's got to run more different different routes. And he's got to be – he's got to be as much involved in the passing game as anything because then he becomes – then the offense runs through him as opposed to feeding him the football in the run game. If you can't protect, 
and you're in the game, the defense coordinators are too smart in the league. They scream, watch screen, watch draw. He's going to, you know, they're going to run it. And then they call the defense to play that. Yeah, he was mostly a check down guy his first few years in the league. And, you know, last year, I think they used him in protection a lot because they were trying to help out uh, the right tackle a little bit and some of the other guys on the offensive line, too. And this summer, and again, we'll see how it translates, Michael, that he has been used more on those little arrow routes, some of those choice routes on linebackers. They run him on some um, wheel routes around the outside. So they have used him in different ways. We'll see if that's able to translate now because it, it also comes back to protection, right? Because if you use that running back sometimes in protection to help, then some of that other stuff gets taken out of the equation. Where do you think the Giants are in terms of moving their offensive line forward? Something that's really been something they've been trying to do for years. And I think they think they're getting there with Andrew Thomas, Evan Neal, and John Michael Schmitz and some of the young guys. Yeah, they just got to keep developing linemen. I mean, look, you know, you, when you walk by the two trophies that they have in their offices uh, in the last few years, or when Parcells brought the trophies back, I mean, it was because you had good linemen. Yep. I mean, I remember in 86, we lost to them when they won their first Super Bowl, when they beat us 49 to three, when they knocked, when Jim Burke knocked Joe Montana out of the game. I mean, that line was tremendous. That That's what they, you got to get to. That's part of who the Giants are. They're a big physical football team. They're a size speed team that has to win in the trenches. And for whatever reason, it kind of got sideways in some areas, but I think that's important to get back to it. And if they do, that's going to be the key to closing the gap in the NFC. There's no question. Why do you think Detroit's having success? I mean, they're O-line. They're, 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 they draft, their offensive line's outstanding, and Goff has time to throw. Yeah, and they have a really varied running game there, too. They run all sorts of different running schemes. They, they do a really, really nice job. A uh, few more over here for Michael Lombardi, again, author of Football Done Right. Uh, Michael, the skill position guys, you mentioned Darren Waller earlier. How valuable is having a guy of that size who's, by the way, every bit of 6'6". You see these guys listed at 6'6", they show up, they're 6'4". Yeah. This guy's huge. He walked in the building. I was like, holy cow, this guy is real deal in terms of measurements. Uh, how do you think he's going to help a guy like Jones? And then they've kind of tried to compliment him by adding a bunch of guys that can run in the four fours outside. Well, I think people are going to treat him as a receiver. I mean, Waller can play tight, but he's not going to block a nine technique. He's not going to block a seven technique. Yep. He's going to block the force player. So, you know, when he's on the field, he's going to get a lot of nickel. And I think Waller has always been a really talented athlete. The last couple of years, injuries have been the problem. You know, he hasn't been able to – he's had too many drops for his guy as talented as he is, and he's had too much time – excuse me, time missed. So, you know, he gives you he gives you a weapon because it's very rare you find somebody that can run that fast who can do what he can do on the field. So they need that. I mean, I think that will help them because their offense – Last year, they're playing with a bunch of different guys. It it wasn't explosive. I think he'll give them that explosive nature. All right, big picture, just looking at the Giants, you, you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier in one of your answers that, you know, they're still kind of in the process of trying to catch Dallas and Philly. How much do you think they have closed the gap to try to compete with those two teams for a potential division title? Well, I, I think they have, but, I mean, the schedule's going to be tougher, right? Yep. And – you know, Washington's a good team. Washington could make the – I mean, they beat Washington. They tied Washington, beat Washington. You know, Washington's fronts are good. Their offensive line's struggling. They got a rookie quarterback. Look, I, I think this year I, – I really believe this. You don't just go from good to great. It's a natural progression, you know. Uh, when they were – when they – in 84 when they made the playoffs, you know, and then the next year they come back and – 
in 85. They weren't, they got beat, they weren't ready. And then they got beat by Chicago. And then 86, they're ready to go do it. I think that's the progression you're looking at. Like they might be a better team this year, but not may have as many wins. But I think sometimes we get too caught up in the scoreboard as opposed to looking at the progress on the field. And if they do what they did last year in terms of win close games, run the six back offense, and be opportunistic with their – I mean, they were great in the red zone last year on defense, great in the red zone on offense. If they do that, they're going to be in the games. I mean, look, every game comes down to the fourth quarter, right? You know, and, you know, you're 9-7-1, and one, you make the play – they made the plays in Tennessee to win. You know, they made the plays against Carolina to win early in the season. That separates you. Those two games could have gone either way, and you're 7-9. and nine. But you're the same kind of team. Michael, let me tell you, you're all over the Giants. You uh, knocked this out of the park. You're right. Their red zone was a difference maker on both sides. They won a ton of close games. They made plays late. That's how they got to their record last year. You're 1,000% right, and we'll see if they can repeat that. Because I do think after you get past Philly, Dallas, San Francisco, the NFC is not the AFC now, right? You're not, no. There's not Lamar Jackson, there's no Joe Burrows, there's no Patrick Mahomes, there's no Justin Herberts, there's no Aaron Rodgers. You can go down the list. There's a bunch more that are also very good. Once you get past those three teams in the NFC, like the Giants are right there with pretty much everyone else in the conference, no? Right. Yeah, and I mean, when they played Detroit last year, they played uh, they played a game that they can't play. They let Detroit get ahead of them. They they got to play – they got and which showed up they weren't good enough on defense. They got to play Detroit where they're ahead of Detroit so that they could put pressure on golf. That's the perfect example on style of play, how you have to play it. And I think if they can do that, that's why all this nonsense about we're going to open it up, you're getting away from what you do really well. Yeah, and then a final question. You've brought this up a couple of times, Michael. And again, thanks so much for the time. Uh, your book's great. Um, you've talked about this a bunch, things like game flow, playing from ahead. You know, I'll throw in just winning the numbers games, right? Like getting good personnel matchups, getting your personnel groups against the personnel groups you want. How much, how many of these subtle things do you think are, are kind of things that you people like you and coaches focus on in the NFL that maybe fans do not pay attention to enough that really determines who comes out a winner week in, week out, and who is standing at the end of these long, you know, really hard fought seasons? Well, it's like chess on grass, right, John? I mean, so like, let's take, we talked about Barkley in the passing game. You know, if Barkley's on the field and he goes and lines up in the slot and he proves in the slot that he can run different routes, that changes the game completely because now he's in the slot. Who do I match up with him? Can't use a and linebacker. Say they take, and it can't be a line. So say they take one of their receivers and move him in the backfield and you got Barkley outside and I'm using San Francisco. Like Debo becomes the back. Yeah. McCaffrey's in the slot. Now, Okay, but when Debo was on the field, I have him. I'm the corner. I got him. So do I line up inside the box? Where do I line up? Where do I line up? I'm the linebacker. I got McCaffrey. Where do I line up? Okay, do I line up out here on the slot or do I stay? Like, how do I do this? And so it causes confusion. I write about this in a book. Why motion? You see, you see why motion all the time. How did why motion happen in the NFL? Well, it happened because Bob Trumpy lined up over on the left and the quarterback said, hey, Bob, you're wrong. Move over here to the right. And so he moves over to the right, and Walsh noticed that there were five people moving on defense. So he said, maybe we should do that more often, move the tight end, right? Yeah. So when you can create a little bit of confusion but keep it simple for you, you take off. And I think that's where the Giants need to get to.
Yeah, and then other things to talk about here too. Like if a team's going to put eight guys in the box to try to stop Saquon, can you beat them with your passing game, right? If a team's going to play a light box against you, can you punish them with your running game? It's it's can you do enough against these other looks teams are giving you to kind of be variable in how you succeed a little bit, right? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, the eight to me, the eight box put eight in the box stops the run. How many times have we watched eight in the box stop the run? When your quarterback can bootleg a naked, yeah, and you're in an eight man front, he that's the only run, that's the only play he blocks somebody. So you really don't have a seven man front. That was a whole. I was two years without Davis living that life, but that's a whole other time. We we'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> Absolutely, Michael. This was great. One more time. Football done right. Setting the record straight on the coaches, players, and history of the NFL by Michael Lombardi, who is a great history in the league. Really great historical information in here. Awesome stuff on T-building. Great players, great coaches in the history of the league. Michael, thanks so much for the time. Uh, anything else thanks, you want to let the fans know about before we say goodbye? No, I appreciate it. You know, I write, for, I work for Visa.com online, which is part of DraftKings. You can check that out every day, the Lombardi line. And we do a show on weekends, uh, 10 to 12 especially Sundays before the game. And then uh, the Daily Coach, which is a, a leadership website that we we write for. So it's good. So I, I'm busy. It's good. That's great. And DraftKings is our official uh, partner here with the Giants. So it's a nice great. synergy there. Michael, good stuff. Thanks for joining us on the Giants Huddle Podcast, brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the Giants. We'll see you next time. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.